Gabriel Metcalf is a self-proclaimed urbanist. He is the CEO of the Committee for Sydney, a research and advocacy organisation that works with leaders across Sydney to solve the problems of today and tomorrow. From 2008 to 2018, he served as the president and CEO of SPUR, an urban policy research and advocacy group for the San Francisco Bay Area, where he led major initiatives on housing, transport, economic development and climate adaption. Gabriel Metcalf, welcome to Cross Pacific Conversation. Welcome, Gabriel. Great to be here. <laughs> uh, and uh, I don't have to travel to San Francisco to talk to you, as I used to do, from Oakland. Uh, I know. And we've had uh, more than 20 years of working together, and I'm glad we could spirit you from San Francisco and bring you to paradise to join us. Yeah. But we want to talk about cities and how city-to-city relationships, both the first thing, building in a city, the kind of institution you've built, uh, makes a difference. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about how you came to Sydney, of all places. Yeah, well, it's a fun story. Um, Every year, the Spur Board of Directors would take a city trip somewhere, and we went to all kinds of fabulous cities, And we would learn everything we could to bring back to the Bay Area. And one year we came to Sydney, would have been probably five or six years ago. And uh, I, of course, fell in love with Sydney as as everybody does who comes here. Um, I never imagined I would actually get to live here, but I did. I did have an intention to get my family here on a vacation someday just so I could show it to them. So I met the committee. I met a lot of people here. And when the headhunter called um, several years later, I did pick up the phone. I did take that call. <laughs> Good for us. Good for us. And uh, you've really brought the organization along, even with COVID going on. But you're just not a San Francisco person when it comes to cities. You know cities across the United States and around the world. The notion of committees for Sydney, where's that come from? Yeah, well, I it, it, it's true. I, I think I love cities. I think cities are one of humanity's greatest inventions. And um, What city are you originally from, Gabriel, if you don't mind well, me asking? I grew up, yeah, I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, so a small mm-hmm. town in the mountains. Right. Um, and um, I made it to, I made it, I was, I'm sort of a kid from a small town who dreamt of getting to the big to the city. To the big city, And yeah. af- after college, um, was lucky enough to land in San Francisco. So you and, didn't decide to go off and become a ski instructor or anything like that? Right. Did not. <laughs> Though that could still happen. <laughs> there, are, um, there are organizations in every great city um, that are working on um, working on the problems that cities have and working on the opportunities that cities face. And um, one of the things about cities is they don't stand still. Every generation faces um, new sets of challenges, some of which are um, unimaginable to previous generations. I mean, people who people who worked on urban issues um, across the developed world for this kind of 30 or 40 year period after World War II um, 
the problem of of cities was the problem of abandonment mm. um and um in all kinds of cities from tel aviv to london to mm -hmm. new york to san francisco um that changed in the late 1970s um and and the the low point in the census numbers would be around 1980 and then the city started growing again and eventually the problem came to be one of um too many people trying to be in these cities which would have been inconceivable to um the previous generation those problems of urban success so groups like um spur or the committee for sydney and there are groups like this in every city i think um try to be thinking ahead try to be um uh coming from a place of love for the city but being willing to talk about how things could be better how things don't have to stay the same well what are some of the common issues on that what are some of the common issues that you've seen affect cities in both countries both the united states and australia i mean we because we all have social and welfare issues uh wealth gaps we've you know, the way i guess climate change the 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 issues of the climate change and how they're affecting uh urban sprawl housing uh social justice a lot lots of different issues what are the two most common ones that you see affect both countries yeah. Yeah, well, I really like your answer um, that you just gave. It it it, it brings up. Oh, I didn't me, mean to answer for you. <laughs> it brings up for me what I said to this question in my job interview with yeah. the committee, uh, with the board. They asked, "What are what are some of the common issues?" And I said, "Well, I think there's the big four issues might be the same, which I, I listed as." Um, uh, if you ask normal people what the problems are, they'd say, number one, um, it's too expensive. <laughs> uh, number two, it's too hard to get around. Mm -hmm. That's um, certainly the case in Sydney. Probably, probably those would be the top two. If you ask right. you know, just average person. Um, if you are a little bit more of a, of a policy wonk, you would say number three, um, income inequality, which is, mm -hmm. uh, which has metastasized to a much further extent in the United States than it has in Australia. But, but there are worrying trends in Australia on that as well. Um, and then fourth, the, if you really are a person who's thinking about these things, you would say the, the existential threat of climate change. Mm -hmm. Um, mm. so those, those four issues are, I, I think the same four in San Francisco as they are in Sydney. Um, but, of course, the way things work, the way the political institutions work, the way you make change is very different between these two places. Let, let's take this out and in a sense. Between San Francisco and Sydney, the first thing I did when I came here was station at the University of South, uh, South Wales. Uh, and on the first morning, I went for a jog. And I got lost. But when I hit the bay, I said, oh, I know where I am <laughs> because it's the same place. <laughs> so my geography was right. Um, so how are the city, San Francisco and Sydney uh, and some of the other cities very much facing these issues what kind of techniques are they using? What kind of strategies are they using? And what is the federal and state's government's roles in these issues that are bigger than the cities? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's a great question, a big question. Um, well, 
Ed, you know, you know as much about these, about this as anyone, but um, I'll, I can share my, my newcomer's observations. Um, the, I mean, one thing to say is that um, Americans think that um, the states have a lot of power in America. Um, and compared to kind of unitary countries like the UK, they, they do. But when you get to Australia, I think you really see the states actually having vastly more power mm -hmm. than they do in America. And part of that is because the cities, the LGAs um, in Australia are not so powerful, whereas they're very powerful in America. So the, the fragmentation of action to in, 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 in any metro area, there would be hundreds of different school districts, dozens of police districts, quite a few independent transit operators, lots of cities and counties. Um, and so and, and that's where the big money uh, to deliver public services um, is spent is at the city and county level and the special district level. All of that is aggregated into state government in Australia. So one of the biggest differences is that the the being able to have uh, cabinet at the state level um, take action is everything. Mm -hmm. um, in America, it power is so much more fragmented. If you wanted to do, if you wanted to build a train line, there would be many, many, many independent agencies who would have to all agree to do it. Which means each of those agencies is a point of veto. Um, it's why people sometimes describe America as vitocracy. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so the 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 kind of process of social change is um, is different because of that. I suppose the other the other thing to say is um, Australia never went in for checks and balances the way the United States did. So if you win an election in Australia, people expect you to do what you campaigned on. Mm -hmm. um, Nobody expects you to do that in America because they know you don't control the other branches of government. So mm -hmm. whatever you said you were going to do, everyone knows you don't actually have the ability to do it if you win. Now, now um, that, that crippling impact, uh, how does that affect, affect outcomes between city policies in both countries? You mentioned transport. Uh, but when I read the transport here... Um, I think New York City's better uh, in terms of. You think New York City has a better transport system than Sydney? If I want to go from my house to house, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it does. And one way you can tell is the mode share, the, 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 the percent of trips taken on public transport in New York is a lot higher than Sydney's. Right. Um, however, um, New York built its transport system 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, if you look at cities that in the last 10 years have changed their transport system, um, that have managed to build new public transport, there are very few cities in the world that have been able to do what Sydney has done. Mm -hmm. um, in, in what way do you mean? Well, the, this building of a new metro line. Mm-hmm. There's one open, there's mm -hmm. another one, there's another one, there's a four, there's basically going to be four, probably five metro lines that didn't used to exist, that did not exist 10 years ago, and Correct. they will exist, you know, 15 years from now. There's really only one, when we looked at this, we tried to ask the question, is anybody else building 
public transport at that scale that's not in a dictatorship. So leave leave aside you know Chinese cities, but in a democracy, there's Trump. one there's <laughs> one city. Well, that's I'm not sure doing if he was more. able to build anything. <laughs> not even the wall. <laughs> not even the wall. There's only one city that's a democracy that's doing more, and that's Paris with the Grand Paris, okay. the circumferential new public transport system. So in the entire world, Sydney's second for the current build out of public transport. Mm. Um, now, look, some some listener may may come up with something that we didn't think of and say we're wrong. And I'd love to hear that. But um, as far as I know, um, so th- there's if you look at if you look at U.S. cities or Canadian cities, the the ability to come up with the the funding and the sort of concentration of political power it takes to um, get the right of way, which involves all this compulsory acquisition of people's homes, and um, you can't make everybody happy. And just just being able to kind of do that, it's a it's a it's the kind of thing America can't do anymore because of the fragmentation of power. Now, uh, the fragmentation of power. Uh, in some ways, is a good thing because I uh, had some person I won't name had a little more power, be in deep trouble. Uh, but it also allows for innovation, and you and I know some examples mm-hmm. like Phoenix with their metro system. Very courageous, innovative, smart Portland. Uh, Seattle has done some innovations and so forth. Uh, but we do have the opposite side of that, and that is that um, those places are outliers. Yeah. Yeah, well, you're right, Ed. It's, I suppose that's the great strength of the American system is um, that, that field of independent action where so many different um, governments can try their own models um, and so many different kind of centers of entrepreneurial energy in the public sector um, exist. It, it means that a lot of different strategies are going to get tried, and some will work, some will not. But um, that is that is a great strength of the American model. So, uh, what can we learn from both models to get the right things done? Um. I think what we can learn, um, yeah, great question. Well, look, I'd like to, I'd like to think that um, every uh, every great city has a lot of successful attributes mm-hmm. that can be learned from. That can be. Um, not usually copied directly, but can be sources of inspiration mm-hmm. to adapt. Um, and I think one of the th- one of the things that I love about the world um, today is I think cities are genuinely interested in each other, or I should say, urbanists in different cities are genuinely mm-hmm. interested in each other. So it feels like a, a time in history where um, innovations are are spreading and being being adapted and adopted. Um, I think Sydney has a lot to teach the world about how to build public transport. Um, I think Sydney has um, uh, really um, 
I mean, frankly, just a competent government, which um, is things you know, like services from, New South Wales. I hope, I hope people in Sydney are listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, believe me, believe me, having come from... Having come from another place, yes. government here is quite competent. And I mean, you know, I think basically Australians generally understand it's everybody has health care and everybody doesn't have a gun. And those are two good things. But good I'm not sure points. if Australians yeah. understand just how just basic competence of government, how good that is here. I I think that we understand. Well, I always think that sometimes Australians at times have uh, an issue understanding policy. I think we're becoming we we're starting to see the bluster of American politics come here somewhat. But what I wanted to ask you as well was in terms of of funding and financing these you know huge and massive projects. What are your thoughts on? projects like the Metro Line that are publicly funded to be built, but then privatized and are, are then run by private entities and private companies, sold off basically? Yeah, well, I think... How does that affect um, the, those that live in Sydney? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's sort of classic that in, in economists speak, the make or buy decision. Are you going to are you going to, for any organization, a company or a government agency has this decision, are we going to do this? Are we going to hire our own employees to do this? Or are we going to um, contract with somebody to do it? Are we going to make mm-hmm. this widget or are we going to buy this widget that somebody else made? Are we going to, and I don't think that it is privatization if you pay somebody else to do the thing. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. use the word privatization Um it's a structure of a contract where they've the government has paid for this metro line to exist mm-hmm. um, and has hired a set of firms to to build it and run it. Um, yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. to me not privatization. Privatization is um, is when you have to buy your own car and drive yourself all around. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting point. Do you think, though, that the infrastructure here in Sydney you're very complimentary about? It's great to hear that we're um, definitely a bit of a world leader in that sense. Uh, do you think it's affordable the, the the our transportation networks? Do you think what do you think of Sydney in terms of costings and and uh, to live in as a city to exist in Sydney? Yeah, I think that is a huge problem, and I mean, mm-hmm. I would probably focus mostly on housing costs. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the most expensive cities in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not very much public investment in social or affordable housing. Um, yeah, London has 20% of the housing stock is social and affordable. I think Sydney has about 4%. Um, so yeah, right. that is a place where I think there there probably could be a lot more work. Uh, on the other hand, there the minimum wage is high, so that um, I think somewhat helps for um, you know what they would in America what we would call the working poor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think are in better shape mm-hmm. um, because of that, and including being able to afford housing in the market um, more than their counterparts in America could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So these um, uh, lessons or ideas, I put home ideas, about transportation, housing, uh, and basic civic or institutions that run. Like uh, almost every state has something like uh, a New South Wales service center program and good hospitals. How do we share these ideas across cities? Because sharing them across states is just not going to work. Uh, you're at the cold face of where the sharing could begin. Uh, you came here, and we trapped you here. But the best way to learn wouldn't be if you uh, took some of those lessons back to the United States or even perhaps came on our radio program <laughs> and began <laughs> sharing them. Uh, how, do, how do we begin the sharing? Because the relationship is ruptured now. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's radio programs like this. Um I do think it would be really helpful if there were um, if there were news outlets that were um, more capable of telling sophisticated urban stories across countries. Um, so that would be you know like City Lab, which is now at Bloomberg. I wish they had an Australia mm-hmm. bureau. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish that the New York Times could become fully internationalized. Mm-hmm. Um, the Guardian is, um, in a way, in the Anglosphere, it's, it, it is that. It just doesn't have an urban focus. Um, mm. But I think that's part of it. I think we need to, um, I think we need to be, our, our sort of field of news and policymaking that we're paying attention to needs to become more international. And I mean, Ed, as you would know, the United States, I mean, people in the United States don't even know where Canada is. And it's so insular. Um, so that's probably where the most work needs to happen. But but I mean, I'm shocked by how little people in Sydney are paying attention to Toronto. Yes. So I right. think there's... Or um, Portland. Uh, yeah. So I think there's a riots. lot of, there's a lot we can do to yeah. facilitate um, cross-pollination. Yeah, and we want to help in that, and we know we're not alone. As you know, I used to take study tours in both directions. Uh, but the problems are in common. The structure of fi- financing delivery, you can learn lessons from a place. You don't have to adopt what they do. But the end result is a good metro like Paris. The end result is the ability to get home from a good job and go into a house that makes sense and have a good job. The United States is starting again. Maybe we can show them some things that will make it better. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, hopefully in the post-COVID world, you can start your study tours again, Ed. Uh, I don't <laughs> I think, think so. That's a powerful way. Uh, I don't think so. You'll have to lead those. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> okay, I'll take the baton from you. Yeah, you, you can. Uh, but I can't this wait to join one of these study tours. Yeah, uh, this is a start. I think it's really necessary, and we're trying to just prime the pump here by having this discussion go across the Pacific. And people say, oh, and that guy Gabriel, he was in the United States. He's learned some things from Australia. Let's get together. Yeah. And on that yeah. note, well, uh, we've gotten together, and I think we've learned a lot. Uh, we'll start pumping this out very soon, and I really want to thank you for being one of our early contributors to Pacific.
conversations. All right. It is my absolute pleasure. Thank you for doing this. Thanks, Gabriel. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Talk soon, guys. Bye. 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 That was Gabrielle Metcalf speaking to Ed Blakely and producer Tina Quinn. More conversations coming in this series, including Ambassador to Australia Jeff Bleich, Bob Carr and virologist Dominic Dwyer. Make sure to subscribe wherever you find the podcast so you don't miss a thing. And for weekly US news and current affairs updates, check out Ed's other podcast with myself, Sean Britton, US of Ed, wherever you find good podcasts, as well as on Facebook and Twitter. And for more on Pacific Conversations, head to the website edtalks.com.au. It's got a schedule of all the upcoming guests and more information on the podcasts.